Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hey, y'all. This is Josiah Gray, and this is Half Street High Heat. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Half Street High Heat. And it is a very special episode as we welcome on Blake Finney of Federal Baseball to the show. Uh, recurring guest. He's been on before. It's been a little bit. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Finney Blake. Uh, Blake, how are you doing? Thanks for joining us. Doing good. Yeah, I think um, the last time I was on was way before the trade deadline and the sell-off. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's been a while and a lot has happened. A little bit yeah. of a different team than the last time you were on. To yeah, chat just with us. a little bit. <laughs> yeah, safe to say. <laughs> I think so. I don't think that's too much of a stretch. But uh, since it's been uh, that long since we've had you on, what's your, you know, obviously excluding the lockout and, and you know, how far away they are with negotiations for the CBA and everything. What's your just general sense on the Nats team as a whole post deadline in this kind of new era of a uh, national baseball? Oh man, that's a, that's a pretty loaded question. Um, <laughs> oh well, I mean, we, we give you the hard hitting uh, questions here. You know, gotta ask the, the tough ones. A little bit broad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's um, I think the the sell off was a long time coming. Like even from as early as 2018, you kind of see it coming with a farm system that wasn't doing particularly great. They managed to put together that run in 2019, and then it's just been kind of a slow downhill um, slope until that deadline, and yeah. then boom, blow everything up. Um, so yeah, it's a much different outlook, especially for Mike Rizzo, who obviously managed to turn it around from when he joined in 2009 to get them competing again. And for an ownership group that for as much stick as they get, sometimes warranted, um, like they, they're willing to put money in. So to actually go through a rebuild is not in their nature, but when you get put in the situation that their lack of player development kind of put them in obviously there there are some factors in there with a lot of trading away talent to stay competitive during that window and picking lower in the draft obviously makes things a bit more difficult but kind of you would have expected more to prolong that window and yeah they had to go down this route eventually it was just a matter of when when would that magic run out and it turned out to be last year and like 
I think the the early signs are promising. Obviously, you've got one of the best players in baseball, who I'm sure we'll talk about because there was some some minor news about him in the last <laughs> couple of weeks. Um, and you do have some other promising young players coming through. Obviously, it's kind of a small part of the foundation. And now what they do over the next year or two is going to kind of set the tone for whether this is going to be a quick turnaround, like when Rizzo came in in 2009, turned things around really quickly and got them back in 2012, or whether we're looking at a longer-term rebuild that's going to require a lot more investment in the lower level, so in player development and trying to uh, invest heavily in the draft and in international to try and build that farm system up. Yeah, if anything... I was going to say, if anything, it's been impressive that they've been this good for this long. It's pretty rare. Yeah. And I think a team experiences I, this kind of window. Yeah. And I think sometimes they get unfair comparisons to the Dodgers. I think the Dodgers are such a unicorn in what they do in terms of how they're developing players and churning them out despite competing every single year. And you just go, well, why can't we do that? And I think they're <laughs> such a unicorn in what they do and they're mm-hmm. brilliant at it that. There Sometimes are so many you, reasons that we can yeah, do that. <laughs> and, you can, and you can kind of get fooled into that's what we should be aiming for. Whereas what the Nationals are kind of going through is more the norm at the moment. Obviously, they could be doing things better as well to prolong it. But sometimes it can be taken for granted that competitive window because of what someone like the Dodgers are doing. Yeah, they do make the rest of us look bad. That's for sure. <laughs> so a quick question for you, kind of just dovetailing off that that discussion about the, the long window that the Nats had. I mean, obviously they did get a World Series in that window, but it was late in the window. And, um, you know, for kind of looked like maybe that window was closing. They had the oldest team in baseball um, that year. And uh, what do you think about the the players that are left from that run we've got you know we've got Corbin we've got Strasburg I mean I, I actually should ask you if you know anything about Strasburg the rest of us don't know because news about him is uh is thin on the ground but just you know who who's left from that run and and kind of your opinion on whether they blew up a lot of it but the core that remains those players do you think we're going to see anything like a return to what we saw in that run in 2019 or do you think a lot of those guys are kind of past past giving that sort of performance yeah I think that's that's also another pretty remarkable thing because there are so few left and that run was just two seasons ago you've got Soto you've got Robles you've got Strasburg you've got Corbin you've got some of the fringe guys like Joe Ross and Eric Fetty but like the the bulk of that team is pretty much gone at this point you've lost Rendon you've lost Trey Turner you've lost Max Scherzer you've lost that catching core you've lost pretty much most of that bullpen obviously it wasn't fantastic in that year but the rest of that bullpen is pretty much gone, save some of the younger guys who are on that run who have now kind of moved up a bit. So yeah, it's it's pretty remarkable the turnover that they've had. And I think the next competitive team is going to look a lot different because um, I don't think Corbin's going to be as bad as he was last year. It'll be pretty impressive if he managed to get worse than he was last year when it was one of like the worst pitching seasons. I think he had the worst in... ERA in baseball last year for qualified starters, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. Something like that. And he, he was setting like team records since the nationals moved back to, or moved to DC in 2005 for like home runs allowed or all these sort of metrics where he was one of the worst. But at this point, you're not planning on someone like him being on the next contender. He's got three more years, obviously, you get what you pay for when you gave him that massive contract and he did exactly what you wanted in 2019, but you still have to see out the rest of that contract. So he's probably not someone that you can count on. Strasburg is, 
it's tough to say. I, I did write a piece on him, but obviously, especially with the lockout, there's not a lot of news on him. Like Reporters aren't being able to talk to some of the front office to get any updates like that, especially right at the start of spring training or what would have been spring training, um, where you can get updates like that, see how he's throwing, because at the end of the season, uh, the front office, the management team, they're all fairly optimistic that we were going to see Strasbourg have relatively normal spring training, but obviously lockout, no spring training. We can't like peek in and see how he's doing. So there's not a lot of updates there. And obviously he's got even longer than Corbin. So whether he's a part of the next competitive national team is a question mark, especially on his 35 million average annual value, obviously. Yeah, there, there wasn't that a hurts lot. even to hear like when you say it that out loud. <laughs> it, it does. Um, sure. And yeah, it, it can be a bit prohibitive, obviously, coming off that World Series MVP. Obviously, it did seem like much at the time, but you kind of lived with it because of what he'd done and what you would hope he would have done in the early part of that contract, maybe less so the latter part. But yeah, so a lot of question marks. And like I said, I think the next competitive team is going to look a lot different from 2019, even though it was only two years ago now. Yeah, the Strasbourg contract, while you know, seemingly an albatross here now, what? three years later going into year three um it it is an albatross but it was kind of like a necessary i won't say necessary evil but it had to be done because obviously it did not seem like rendon wanted to stay here uh for you know he he had his reason so you couldn't lose both of them and obviously we know max scherzer his deal was going to be up and he was getting up there in age so you couldn't rely on him for the next seven years like you potentially could Strasburg. So I, I think it makes sense, but you know, we have to live with it now. <laughs> and, but I do think, you know, uh, the success or ability of both Strasburg and Corbin really uh, play a huge part. And obviously that's I'm not breaking news there, but if they can be somewhat reliable and competitive, then maybe this team, you know, tries to, speed things up obviously you know sign some players trade for some players but if they're not even close to what they were in the 2019 run then maybe we see some trades like like josh bell is kind of that candidate it's like if we keep them well probably we're trying a little bit uh or to speed this up a little bit and if we trade him then we're probably looking at another year or so at least uh, of not being all that competitive, which is obviously fun stuff. But uh, speaking of guys from that 2019 run, obviously we lost one of them recently uh, to retirement after a great career. That is Ryan Zimmerman. I just wanted to get your thoughts and and uh, about it. It seemed like the writing was kind of on the wall. Obviously, we all remember how the 2021 20, uh, season ended with the series against the Red Sox, and he got his standing ovation in his moment. And it definitely seemed like that was going to be it. And obviously it was official uh, just last week. Just wanted to get your thoughts on the retirement and, and uh, you know, just the career of Ryan Zimmerman. Yeah. Like you say, you kind of got that feeling and the writing was sort of on that wall, given the send off that he got at the end of the season, obviously at the time Zimmerman was kind of a bit cagey about it in terms of like, he didn't want to say that he was going to retire at the end of the season and then come January, February time, or whenever he wanted to show up to spring training, which we know he uh, wasn't always a fan of. But if he got that itch again to come back, he didn't want to quickly turn around and go, actually, guys, I'm back now. So that's that's why it was kind of a bit held off. But yeah, it did seem seem like the writing was on the wall, especially with 
the team actually going into a rebuild, maybe if they were still competitive in 2022. We saw how well he did in a part-time role in 2021. Like he could have still hit at a reasonable level, even if it's like just part-time platoon duty against lefties, like he could have done a job. But with the team going into a rebuild, is it worth coming away from his young family? He's got his two daughters. I think he's got another one that was recently born as well. So staying at home with the young family is big to a guy like that. So in terms of the retirement, it makes perfect sense for him. And obviously he's going to get all the honours that are going to come to him in due course. Like he leads the franchise in a lot of major hitting categories. That's both Expos and Nats, like home runs, RBIs, hits, games played, all the stuff like that. So at some point we are going to hopefully get like, even a Ryan Zimmerman day would be fantastic where you at least get the number of retirement in. I think he's going to be the first one retired for the Nationals. I think, I don't think I'm giving a particularly hot hot take yeah. with that one um going into the ring of honor maybe a statue outside as well like i think there's going to be some massive celebration for him maybe you could even spread it out and do all of those things like this is a guy who was the first draft pick when they moved to dc he was someone that fans instantly latched onto obviously you don't really have as much of a connection with the guys who come over from montreal to Washington like they kind of feel like another franchise's players obviously I think Chad Cordero might be the one exception to that from that early team but the first guy that they drafted as the Washington Nationals came up that autumn and then uh, I should say fall not autumn I need to be American (laughs) but um, you you get the idea Uh, but yeah he came up that and he said it in his um, speech at the World Series parade like he's grown up with a lot of the Nationals fans like a lot of the young Nationals fans have not known a Nationals team without, or baseball in Washington, D.C., without Ryan Zimmerman. So growing up together, everyone associates the Nationals with Ryan Zimmerman because he's been there this whole time and he's been a fantastic servant to the franchise. So, um, yeah, I know that a lot of people, especially who have followed since the team moved to D.C., had a pretty emotional reaction to him retiring. And it's completely justified because of all that he's given to this franchise. Yeah, it really does feel like the end of an era. I mean, the the, mm. the teardown last year at the trade deadline felt like that, but in a different way. It's uh, that emotional connection can't really be overstated, I think. And for a yeah. long time, he was the only thing worth watching. I mean, this team was dreadful for a while when they came here, and and he was the only player anybody knew that you could name from the Nationals that was any good. You know, he was like the only reason to watch. And um, my one of my favorite things that I think people forget is you know the wild card game in that 2019 run you know, everybody remembers Soto's big hit to, to put the Nats up and, and ultimately, you know, put them ahead for, for the win. But that, that broken bat kind of bloop single that got that all started is like one of my favorite Ryan Zimmerman moments in, in all of the franchises. So there's and bigger the, moments, but I the, love the, that the little, the little shy baby shark as well, back to the dugout. Like I really <laughs> got lucky on that one. <laughs> Absolutely. But that, like without that little bloop hit, I mean, the, mm. the rest of the run doesn't happen, you know, like, None of the, none of the rest of it comes. So anyway, I, I think you can't really overstate it. It is emotional. I think it was a good time for him to go because you didn't, and I think he's, he had interviewed today on, um, on one Oh six, seven, I can't remember which show, but you know, he said, junks. I didn't, was it the junkies? Yeah. He said yeah. he didn't want to, he didn't want to be terrible and have everybody be like, Oh, good Lord. Hang it up. Old man. You know what I mean? Hmm. He wanted to go out with some dignity. And I, I respect that. I, I think uh, it's going to be very strange to see nationals baseball without Ryan Zimmerman. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, he's still not necessarily going anywhere because of, um, I think it was under the old CBA where you were allowed personal services contracts and he's still got that 
within his contract. So he, he is still contracted to do stuff for the Nationals for the next five years, I believe. So he'll yeah, still be yeah. in and around. He'll still have his Ryan Zimmerman day. But yeah, not having him in the dugout, him at first base. Him him at first base took a while to get yeah, used to after to seeing him at third base. Um, we, we won't talk about the left field experiment, but yeah. Um, <laughs> Some not, things are I, better forgotten. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, not, not having him around in the dugout on the lineup and on the roster is going to be going to take a little while, but at the same time, I think a lot of fans are going through that as well with the rebuild. There are going to be a lot of young guys that are coming up and you've probably noticed it on a lot of the team's social media when they, when they were allowed to post about major league players, not now, um, that they're focusing a lot on these young guys and they're posting about the likes of signing Christian Vaccaro, Vaccaro, Mm-hmm. Um, posting okay. a lot of the prospect highlights, posting guys from the Arizona Fall League, which they hadn't really done up until this point. Obviously, Twitter kind of became a thing in the last half decade, a bit more, when the Nationals have just been competing and there's been plenty to celebrate on the field. So you've kind of seen the team trying to emphasize these young guys. So, yeah, it, it kind of fits in with Zimmerman retiring in a new era. Obviously, you get a new era on the field with all these younger players, but I think Zimmerman was kind of bigger than that. And it's going to be felt both on and off the field. Before we totally move on from Zimmerman, I have a, a question to throw out to you. There's been a lot of talk on the, the Twitters um, in, among Nats fans about Ryan Zimmerman in the hall of fame. <laughs> I think that's a stretch. I love Zimmerman as much as anybody in DC, but what are your thoughts? Uh, he'll be all, he'll be on the ballot. Maybe. Maybe he can get 5% to stick around on it for a bit because of, especially when you start looking at how, just how good he was, especially as a third baseman, both offensively and defensively, maybe you can get the 5%. But in terms of getting into the Hall of Fame, I I don't see a way that he gets in. Yeah, that's just, uh, you know, the epitome of uh, Nat's Twitter right there. Nat's homerism <laughs> right there. Yeah, that yeah. was, I mean, uh, I uh, still- I'm the homer of our bunch and even I can't see that one. <laughs> right, and that, that's how you know, that's our barometer right there. Um, <laughs> but I say like, I, I to this day, I still say they only put Jason Worth in the ring of fame because that season did not end up the way they wanted it to. And uh, so you bring up ring of fame and obviously he, very well deserves the ring of fame but the running joke on the show is like if you had a cup of coffee with the the Nats you get into the ring of fame I mean Pudge Rodriguez is in the ring of fame and obviously Hall of Famer but he was here for like one maybe two seasons so so it's just funny but ring of fame nonetheless you know it's coming I obviously wanted to talk to you about the the new face of the franchise so to speak is really the only guy left standing almost uh in you know one way or another whether it's trade or injuries or retirement um but that's obviously carter keboom no i'm just kidding uh that is juan soto uh obviously the, the big news broke last week the nats offered him a 13 year 350 million dollar extension no de- no deferrals so that that's kind of the, the big hey we mean business aspect of the deal but obviously uh I don't think to anyone's surprise, uh, Juan Soto rejected it and basically said they're going to go to free agency as you one would expect, especially as a Boris client. Uh, you had a lot of great points that I saw on Twitter, but I, I wanted to give you the, the platform to share now. Like, w- what's your thought on the contract offer? What's your thought on you know Soto's mindset about you know extension talks and free agency, and how do you see this kind of playing out? Uh, you know, over the next year, but also obviously as we approach Soto's free agency. 
yeah so i i ended up writing about it um on federal baseball which uh, I can get the plug in there, which mo- will make my editor happy. But oh, um, <laughs> uh, like, I think my thought on it is, if that's the first offer, great. That seems like a good starting point. Like you say, there was not really a chance in hell that he was accepting that offer. Like the average annual value was just short of twenty-seven million, so that's about seventeenth highest in baseball, I think. Um, obviously, that does cover three arbitration seasons, so that's not kind of it's not it's apples to oranges a little bit in terms of that's not what you would get on the open market because you buy out those arbitration seasons that kind of step up to what his value would be on the free agent market. But even then you're still way short kind of, if you take out those arbitration seasons, you're kind of looking at an average annual value of about 28, 29 million, which is still way off the rest of the pack in terms of average annual value on some of the better hitters in the game. So that's kind of why if it's a first offer, great especially with the no deferrals, which I think is something that initially was missed out um, in terms of where the mindset was, because then obviously the Nationals are getting a bit of a reputation for these heavy deferrals, especially in some of their other big contract talks with the likes of Bryce Harper. So the no deferrals is interesting. Um, But again, as a starting point, that's great. The worry is if that's their final offer, at least for now, maybe they come back in a year or come back in two years with a different offer. But that's kind of been what their mindset has been with other um, extensions that they've explored with other players in the past. So kind of you had similar with the likes of Ian Desmond, Trey Turner, where they approached them with below market offers really early on. So like two, three years out from free agency and then never really came back to the table with anything more than that. So that's the worry is that they've gone right that's it whereas um you kind of want to use it as a starting point to actually get towards that so whether it's just a pr move a little bit like the bryce harper offer was right at the end of the 2018 season when they offered him 10 years 300 mil that seemed like yep that's a good starting point and that's exactly what bryce harper said as well like great we can work with that we can work towards where we want to be but the learners were like no that that's it and they never came back to the table until much later in the off season with it was something in like the mid 200 millions. Like it was way off what the Phillies eventually ended up paying. So that that's kind of the thing for me. And for Soto, especially where he's the kind of player who's not going to age traditionally, I guess, because a lot of his key, um, key strong points are the stuff like his plate discipline. That's not something that's going to wear away with age in the same way that someone with like generational power, they're going to have that through their speed, early like Trey mid. Turner. Yeah, exactly. Like it's not an attribute that's going to fade with age and his work rate is incredible in the way that he'll just keep working and working. And we like Nats fans would have seen it in 2020 and in 2021, the way that his defense improved. And I think he was a gold glove finalist in mm-hmm. both years. Like, Maybe he's not an elite defender. He doesn't have the physical attributes to do that. But to go from what we saw in 2018, where he was still really rough around the edges defensively, to actually being a pretty solid above average outfielder at this point, I think it's fair to say. So his work rates there, that's not going to be something that diminishes with age. So you can go in and give him that long-term deal. And that's something that he's also going to be saying to the Nationals, like, I'm confident in myself because I'm not going to fade. I'm going to have three incredible years, which we would all be surprised if he didn't, and get that huge free agent contract. So 
you're not banking on like is this guy injury prone would he accept all this guaranteed money now so um especially with boris as an agent as well who's gonna take someone like that to free agency if you can so for the nationals they've actually got to bump up and find that free agent value if they want to get it done yes i hope they want to get it done but you know history if history is any indication and it usually is mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't keep their big they don't keep their stars and uh it's hard to take we've talked a lot on on the podcast for you know years now about how it's always about the next guy it's well, we can't pay Harper because we need to pay Rendon and we can't pay Rendon because we need to pay, you know, the next guy. It's always the next guy. It's always when I keep Soto. And I wonder who it's going to be when it gets to Soto's free agency. Like, oh, they can't give him that much money because we'll need to pay somebody else. But the the lack of deferrals in the contract was encouraging to me. Um, I was waiting to hear that they had made a completely ridiculous offer. And from an AAV standpoint, it was obviously never going to be enough to get it done. But as you said, the, the arbitration years in there are a kind of mitigating factor and uh, if, if this were an opening offer, you know, it's to me still too low. I think they, they should have done better. They knew that was, that was a total non-starter and I wish they would just blow him out of the water and, and, you know, offer him 500 million and make him say no, or 450, you know what I mean? <laughs> Something yeah. like that. Yeah. I, I don't um, know that that will happen, but. I, I, my, my like written nap, like offer that I would write on a napkin, 15 years, 500 mil. So then you're mm-hmm. gradually stepping up. So you go like 16 million, 23 million. 29 million something like that for the three arbitration years and then you go 36 million the rest of the way basically so that's just above what Mike Trout is getting obviously I think that's the comp that the Nats will come back to and say look Mm -hmm. he's Mike Trout he's like the generation's greatest ever or the generation's best player by quite a way so you're not going to get more than that and I think that's also kind of comparable with like the lengths that you get from Tatis and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So that that's kind of my napkin offer. And again, that's based on free agent value. So that's the kind of thing that the Nats go, here you go. And then if he turns down 15 years, 500 million, I don't think there's anything right. reasonable that would stop him getting to free agency. Yeah, that's right. true. You're, you know what you're, you, you know what the situation is if you were to turn mm-hmm. that down. And I think that you could make a reasonable argument to your fan base at that point, be like, hey, we tried. Yeah. And, and I think there's going to be rage in the fan base if he if they don't make him a serious offer and he walks in free agency. Yeah, I think that that was my biggest gripe about the whole Bryce Harper situation, especially when you go up to the 2018 trade, di- trade deadline when it was clear they weren't in it. And my, my take at the time was if you're actually going to make a legitimate effort to keep him, then you don't trade him. You don't want to kind of let him go away, get a taste of something else. So if you're going to make a legitimate attempt at keeping him, don't trade him, which is what they end up doing. But then they didn't really ever make a proper attempt to keep him. Like I said, that 10-year, 300 million came with some deferrals towards the end. So it was kind of way off that value. And then pretty much nothing throughout the offseason. Like that's where I think a lot of the fan base got a bit irked, where like if you'd have made him... A, a good offer and then the Phillies come in and go right we'll give you this massive dump truck of money then the fans can go and kind of go fair enough you gave him a a really good offer that would would have been the biggest contract in MLB at the time but they just never got to that so I think that's exactly where you're coming from like if you put that f- 15 years 500 million he says mm-hmm. no I think you can legitimately say like we made our best effort he would have been one of the highest paid players in baseball he would have by far and away the biggest contract in baseball history. Like that's a legit attempt. And if he wants to go to free agency, 
and get his market value there with multiple teams bidding on him, then they did all they could. Yeah, right. I think it wouldn't it. <laughs> it wouldn't be a PR offer at that point. Yeah. It would be a legitimate offer. And obviously that's, you know, where the Nats fans have their PTSD of sorts because we've gotten so many PR offers, seeming, like you said, uh, over the years. Although we should probably thank Ian Desmond for turning down his because that obviously <laughs> led to yeah. some good fortune. Well, more, <laughs> more, more notably the Jordan Zimmerman one because if they oh, sign Zimmerman, too. do they get Scherzer? Right, yeah. So uh, yeah. <laughs> we've, we've lucked out and maybe that's what the Nats are thinking. They, they've gotten so fortunate, obviously, with Harper and Strasburg back-to-back in drafts and then, you know, not ending up like missing on Desmond or not retaining him and then, you know, trading for Turner and then Zimmerman to Scherzer and then Harper sort of DeSoto, even though they were teammates. And so maybe that's just their mindset, but I think we've kind of reached the end of the line. Like I think Soto's. Kind yeah. Of, the well, cupboard see, is there. Right There's nobody right wait. Now, There's no Soto down in this farm. Exactly. <laughs> so it's like, you kind of need to make it done. And Amanda, I know you're going to hate this, but with the addition of the DH, uh, a long-term deal, <laughs> is a lot more you know feasible because like even if his you you mentioned his defense is very solid right now but for whatever reason if it does decline you can just make him a dh and he's still going to provide a ton of value for the team especially when you know he's like 37 38 if the deal is that long you know you can give him plenty of days off and get the most out of those last years of the contract yeah exactly and uh for the first time i'm actually outnumbering uh the DH lovers compared to the DH haters. Oh, fantastic. Oh, no. Fantastic. Finally. Some All right. Support. Well, that does it for this episode. I <laughs> I'm so outnumbered here, Blake. You have no idea. I'm I get it. I get it. Screaming into the void. <laughs> well, that's just because we don't normally listen to you. It has nothing to do with the DH. Yeah. It's just always screaming into the void. It's not just <laughs> DH specific. Right. So, you know, speaking of the, of the farm a little bit there, um, you know, there's no Soto down there. It's still, makes me laugh to think that Robles was the the highly touted prospect and Soto only came up because Robles got hurt. That is one of the craziest, craziest things in, in Nat's uh, prospect lore to me, but there are a few prospects right now who have hit the top 100 list from fan graphs that um, just got announced. So we got Cade Cavalli, Brady house and Cole Henry. Um, what are your thoughts on those guys? Do you, um, do you think they're placed correctly on that? that top 100 list do you have high expectations for any or all of them um so on a lot of the different prospect lists you're seeing quite a lot of variance especially on a guy like Cade Cavalli because he's got some of the best stuff in the minor leagues like he's got a fastball that'll run up near 100 like sit in the high 90s he's got a wicked slider that just dives off the table like the stuff is all there for Cavalli, but you get such wild variants. So like baseball America, and I think MLB pipeline will rate him kind of in the top half of their top 100s because of that stuff and go, I think he's going to figure it out. Um, whereas you've got people like the athletics or Keith law, and then you've got fan graphs rating him towards the bottom of that top 100 because uh, of the command issues that we saw. So mm-hmm. in, in high A, he was blowing everyone away. It didn't matter where he put the ball everyone was swinging at it because the stuff was just so overpowering. You saw some little bits in double A. He managed to get away with it, with his stuff. But then in triple A, there were some mitigating factors. So I think they, they use a different ball between double A and triple A. I, I think Keith Law mentioned that in his piece as well, was kind of one of the factors that kind of does go in Cavalli's favor when he did struggle at triple A initially. Um, so you get a lot of variance there and, 
Um, you see a, a lot of guys come up like that who are pure stuff pitchers and will make it work. But obviously, as you get higher up the minor league pyramid, there's a lot more disciplined hitters. So it's going to be tougher to get guys to swing way out the zone, despite how good your stuff is. So that that's really a high risk, high reward. He could end up being like the team's next ace. He could exceed where Strasburg and Corbin are right now, which obviously their bar is a bit lower than it was a few years yeah, ago, but it's on he, the floor. Yeah. He, he's got that high upside to actually be an ace, but on the other side, he could end up being a bullpen arm because the command just doesn't get fixed and you need him in the short burst to make sure that his command ticks or his, uh, his stuff ticks up in the bullpen. So there's a lot of high variance there. I think Brady house is someone that a lot of prospect lists are kind of wary to rank too highly, but are kind of expecting him to make a leap. So if he goes to low A or he goes to high A and dominates kind of like he did in the, um, in the Florida league, then he's someone who could rise up really quickly because He's got such unique power, especially for an infielder. Like he'll probably move to third base eventually, but like the bat to ball skills are there. The power is unreal. He should be kind of a perennial gold glove candidate at third base because he's, he's serviceable at shortstop, but obviously he's so big, especially as his power grows because he's only 18, 19 at the moment. Like he's someone that could really rise up lists fast, but they're just kind of a little bit wary, especially when it's high schoolers just coming out of the draft. They might be able to dominate down in Florida, but how do they transition to full professional baseball playing every single day? Uh, the long bus rides on uh, little salary, they don't have, mum and dad cutting them around to travel ball anymore. So it's a big adjustment for high schoolers, which is why they can kind of start conservative. But he's someone who could theoretically absolutely take off if everything breaks right. And a lot of people do expect that. Cole Henry was a uh, interesting one because he's not on any other top 100. And he's kind of, um, he's an interesting one because you've got all of this talent. He was one of LSU's best pitchers back in college. Um, but it was always injuries that seemed to get him. Like that's what made him drop to the second round. And that's when over slot to go and get him. So he's someone who could, uh, if he figures it out and manages to stay healthy, then he's someone who could again, rise up boards very quickly because he's again, got good stuff. He's got better command than Cavalli. It's, it's not great, but it's better than that. So that he can kind of, he's, he's got a safer floor. If he stays healthy, he can kind of sit in as a three or four in the rotation. So He's someone that a lot of people like, but maybe they haven't seen him enough in professional games to actually rate him higher. But in terms of his actual potential, there is good reason enough to see him on the top 100. I probably wouldn't have put him there myself, but I'm no, I'm, I'm far from a professional prospect analyst, especially across all of baseball. Yeah. Yeah, that's her. But it is nice to see someone trend upwards in the Nats uh, a farm yeah. for once because it, we've seen a long history since Giolito really and obviously Giolito had plenty of issues here with Washington that have since uh, magically resolved themselves after he left Washington but you know so many first round or second round high picks whatever that just didn't you know come to fruition so it's good to see some you know homegrown prospects so to speak uh trend upwards uh I, I wanted to touch on the draft really quick obviously the Nats have the highest draft pick they've had in quite some time is there anyone you're eyeballing right now for that pick obviously we're a, a little bit away from the draft but obviously 
uh, college baseball just started. So, you know, that's really the only source of baseball we're getting right now. Do you have your eye on anyone uh, come June, July? Uh, yeah, like you say, I think college baseball is going to get a lot more eyeballs on it, especially now when there's no spring training, there's no real threat of base of Major League Baseball imminent. Um, it's a tough one, especially at the top, because the Nationals are obviously known for college arms, but there aren't really any top rated college arms kind of towards the top. You're looking at more high school outfielders. Um, there's a lot of hitters there, which I know. Nationals fans have been crying out for for a while. They've seen the, use. <laughs> they've they've seen the team taking all these college arms in like the twenties when they've been competing because that's mm-hmm. what that's what's been good value there. But obviously now picking right at the top, you obviously have guys like Drew Jones, who's Andrew Jones' son, the just dream. to make, mm-hmm. make make everyone feel really old who watched Andrew <laughs> Jones play for the Braves. Um, there's Elijah Green there as well. Like on some boards, he's the best best player that they've got. Um, I think for me, I do like. Jacob Berry at LSU. So he's kind mm-hmm. of a switch hitter with great plate discipline. He may move from third base eventually. Um, but yeah, I, I like him. And I know that uh, Matt Wyrick will like me if I say Chase DeLauter at JMU, who <laughs> obviously coming coming from a smaller school, but he's dominated at JMU to an unreal extent. He did well at the Cape Cod League against some of the better college players in the league. So I, I do like Chase DeLauter. I think he went yard tonight as well for JMU. So uh, maybe I'm just riding the hot hand, but he is someone who I like and is, is also a candidate to go one overall as well. I like the idea of a hitter. I said, mm. I, I always joke that anyone, everyone should have someone who loves them the way Mike Rizzo loves oft injured, large <laughs> right-handed pitchers. That's- and yeah. And I think a lot of people were kind of um, pleasantly surprised when he did take Brady house rather than some mm-hmm. of the other college oh, arms yeah. that were there. Um, so when the value's there, he's not going to, stick to his guns and just go for college pitchers because Brady house was kind of like arguably a top five talent in the last draft. And he fell to the Nats at 11 and they, they were willing to go get him. They didn't play it conservative, try and save some slot value to take guys later on. They go and attack that first pick generally. So I think that was pretty refreshing for for people to see and may lead to some optimism in terms of like, just take the best player available at five. Yeah. Obviously, such a welcome change, but obviously, you know, the circumstances have changed. Like you said, they're drafting a little bit higher than they have uh, in recent mm-hmm. years. So, the mindset and idea, and obviously, they kind of have openings now at the major league roster. Granted, people like Brady House are probably still a few years away from joining the big league club, but, you know, there are some openings that you might not have foreseen before. So, it is good to, you know, diversify your assets a little bit. Drew Jones is absolutely the dream. Uh, just so we control Braves fans. Granted, you know, it's hard to because they just won a World Series, da, 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 da. But, you know, being able to trot out Drew Jones as like our prize guy, like that would be awesome. So that that's the dream. He probably won't be there at five. But yeah, I that- think he he's like one of the consensus one overalls. Obviously, there's slight differences, but I don't think I've seen him outside of like the top three or top four yet. So that might be yeah. a bit of a bask, but. We'll see Although, teams like the Orioles ahead of them do like to save on slot money and he could be someone that goes over slot. Right. Yeah. Like last year, everyone thought the Pirates were going to go one of the short stops and then they go under slot with Henry Davis. And then that mm. kind of like had a trickle down effect. So I didn't think Brady House was going to be there at 11. Like you said, oh. I thought he was absolutely top seven, top eight at the minimum. And mm. he was there and I was like, OK, 
<laughs> maybe we do have some good fortune coming our way. Uh, the last thing I wanted to uh, ask you about is obviously the reason we're kind of talking about prospects and college ball, although college ball is a bit electric. I, I mean, it definitely deserves more spotlight is obviously the lockout. Uh, you know, they're meeting for more than 15 minutes now. So I guess that that's a good thing, but uh, I, I wanted to get your take on it and just your, you know, general idea for when, or if we, we get a season. Oh man, if I if I knew when and if we were going to get a season, I'd be I'd be <laughs> right, prediction <laughs> prediction. Um, I I I don't think we're going to miss as many games as doomsdayers say. I think we are going to miss some because I think there's such slow movement, and I think the way that the MLB owners are trying to kind of strong arm the players a little bit, especially with their small movements, they're going right. We've got we've got this deadline, guys. We need to meet it, but. They're showing no urgency to actually do anything before that deadline at the moment. Like, I think they're both sides are kind of implying that they're willing to miss games at this point. So I think we are going to get there, but um, yeah, it's going to take a a bit more ugliness before we do get to games. So maybe kind of something around Memorial Day, kind of end of May, maybe a little bit earlier than that, but. Yeah, there are some people who are going full doomsday and thinking, like, we're not going to be back till the All-Star break. Um, and, yeah, it, it it's a tough one. And it's been brewing for the last, what, like, five years since the CBA was signed and all these teams are kind of tanking away. They've stopped spending on free agents. We saw it kind of bubble up before the 2020 season when they couldn't agree on a specific deal to play. And Rob Manfred actually had to step in and uh, implement the season Mandate. himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like... It's, it's been bubbling for a while. So it's not a surprise that it's gotten to this point and the players are trying to make up for the last few CBAs where they've definitely gotten the short end of the stick. And that's why they're digging their heels in. They prepared for this for a while. They've built up um, built up a fund so that they can keep, um, keep players afloat with some of the money in that fund they've built up for the last five years. So they've been prepared for it. They're not just going to take a... Um, Roll over. Yeah, then they're not just going to roll over and take a deal. Like we've seen it, especially where um, they're kind of matching what the owners are doing at the moment. Like the owners go, right, we're going to move a little bit. The players move a little bit. And then the MLB owners go, well, why aren't, why aren't you negotiating? And it's completely baffling to me what the MLB owners are doing at the moment. Like there are such small things, especially when it comes to stuff like Super 2 status, which is something that's come up lately. And the MLB owners are like, right, we don't want to budge on this when that's literally just a case of giving more younger players money, which they have shown willingness to do in stuff like raising the minimum salary, albeit only a little bit. And that's something that's obviously got to bridge the gap and the bonus pool for pre-arbitration players. Like they are willing to pay younger players more money, but that's it. The, the Super 2 thing where they're like, right, we're not going to give any more players Super 2 eligibility seems like a really odd. Yeah, like that's a weird hill to die on for sure. Yeah, like I, I kind of get the revenue sharing. Obviously, I don't necessarily agree with their stance, but I kind of get that where they're trying to get smaller market teams more money. And that's something that they want to keep balance on from their perspective. Like I said, I don't necessarily agree with that to that extent, but that kind of makes sense. Whereas in an area that they do, they are willing to pay these younger players more money. That Super 2 thing is baffling. And again, it, it's such a strange situation for the owners where they're, they're, it, 
they're not even hiding it at this point. It is literally just no. a money grab. And the players are trying, obviously they're the players are trying to get their money as well, but these are the guys on the field actually putting the work in. We've seen the MLB website is just an absolute train wreck without the players. Like you go on there. <laughs> I haven't visited it re- since they pulled the nonsense with the pictures. I was just like, nope, yeah, no, I'm out. I'm not, it, I'm not it, participating it, in this. <laughs> it would be really interesting to see their traffic numbers from before and after the lockout. But yeah, like, but I do think the players also have kind of a more genuine standpoint in terms of some of their tanking and stuff like that, where, they want to try and make it more competitive. They want to force teams to try and spend more where possible to make it a better sport for the fans. Obviously, that's not their primary concern. Their primary concern is getting their money, which they fully deserve. But they come at it from a more genuine standpoint, I think, than the owners do, who are just trying to shave off the pennies where they can. Yeah, yeah, watching I mean, them implement an unnecessary lockout that they didn't have to implement and right. then complain and then not talk to the players for two months and then complain about a deadline oh, yeah. is a little rich for yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, a lot of that narrative has been really odd. Like, especially in um, I did a piece on this as well, where like they're just coming off really disingenuous, especially in that letter that Rob Manfred said at the start. They're like, We're forced to lock out the players. Well, no, Who you're not. To? Like, you yeah, you like, I get it. You can do it as a negotiating tactic. And they said, like, we want to do this to jumpstart negotiations. And then they just sat on their heels for 43 days. And also in that letter, he was like, oh, we keep hearing that baseball, baseball free agency is broken, but we just handed out, like, however much it was, a billion odd dollars or however mm-hmm. much it was in the last week. And it was just like, hmm, it was almost as if there was some kind of, like, pseudo deadline that everyone was trying to get deals done before. Like also, a it, chunk of that was a few players, you know, a huge yeah. portion of that was only for a few guys. Yeah. It's, it's disingenuous is exactly the right word. Yeah, Anybody so, who's paying attention can see what they're doing and it's, it's very distasteful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and that's why, you know, the, I mean, owner defenders on Twitter are a different breed and that there's probably no reasoning with them, but the people who try to use like the, the, the average salary. Well, I mean, if you get a Mike Trout in with a guy pre-arbitration, yeah, the the median salary is probably gonna be like twenty million. Yeah, so of course it sounds great, but there's, it's not. there's a big difference between the average salary, which is probably somewhere in the millions, and the percentage of players who are earning that league minimum. Right, like there's a massive difference in what you're looking at. Like you're trying to compare or trying to bundle together the guys at the top of the food chain like the trouts um the tatis the scherzers with like the guys who are i I wouldn't say just about making a living they're still earning like half a million but like they're not on that same scale so you kind of got to look at the percentage who are earning that and kind of need to make up for all that they've lost while trying to grind through the minor leagues on barely any money at all like those are who they want to get paid especially as they were such a high percentage of play appearances and innings pitch because of um, where the owners have kind of trended in terms of not going for free agents. They've got, right, we don't need to sign this guy who's worth one more. We can just call this guy up from the farm. So they're trying to get those guys paid more because they're being used more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I mean, obviously framing and narratives are uh, always going to be a part of negotiations and it's not just baseball that it's uh, isolated to, but it is also entertaining uh, 
and not and not a fun way, but entertaining. All you can do is laugh to see, uh, you know, baseball use the Associated Press to to try to frame their. Uh, the, their yeah, that, watching their the stories. players on Twitter actually. So this is the first CBA where really you've seen players on social media speak out, yeah, speak out and and really mm. say their you know say well, their piece. And you, you it, had that it, in um, twenty twenty as well. Uh, am I allowed to swear? Oh yeah, you are. Oh, great. So, you you know you know shit's going down when Max Scherzer logs on the Twitter. He's only done yes. it like three times in the last like six years. He logged on in 2020 a couple of times and he's logged on now. Like, you know yeah. shit's getting real when Max Scherzer logs on the Twitter. <laughs> I know. I always try to be like, hey, come on our show. It hasn't worked yet. But I'll keep you posted. Yeah. <laughs> Got to shoot your shot. Well, he's a little busy uh, in his ivory tower driving his por- Porsche around, according the to the associated press. The people upset that a guy who's getting 40 plus million dollars a year drives a Porsche. I, yeah. I just don't know what to say about this. People. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ma- Max Scherzer drove his Porsche. So we should all get angry about that. While the owners clearly all came in a carpool together. In right. Like they showed up in their Pintos. Accord. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and some of them had their like private planes land between, you know, the two fields and. <laughs> It's just, uh, it, it's just entertaining. All you can do is laugh, even though you're laughing at your own pain because we don't have baseball. <laughs> so, yes, we have college Blake, baseball. So yeah, that is true. Something. Yeah, Blake, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate you time your time. You've been so you know gracious with your time. I, I didn't even realize how long we had been on. I know. I just, I just. <laughs> it feels so good to talk baseball that you know <laughs> we could. I honestly keep going for. Yeah, for th- thank hours. God there's actually been a lot to talk about with the Zim and the Soto. Obviously the lockout, but the lockout news does kind of get boring after a while when it just feels a bit samey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially when there's no progress. Oh, they met for 15 minutes today and then they left. It's like, okay, what am <laughs> yeah, I supposed they, to do with that? <laughs> they, they moved the minimum salary by 10,000. Great. Right. That great. Doesn't sound that's, great. Yeah, that's yeah, well, we're going like to do a whole a episode dime. about that one. Thanks for the content, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I'll go back to like ranking players again. <laughs> like that's <laughs> seems to be the trend nowadays. But uh, for everyone listening, be sure to give Blake a follow on Twitter at Finney Blake and be sure to check out his work uh, at Federal baseball a lot of great stuff coming out I, I actually love the series you're doing and obviously you're still halfway through it but the Nats killers because there's always fun obviously Freddie Freeman's kind of the big one but obviously Freddie Freeman's kind of a kind of a household he, name at this point he, but he's th- good against those... everyone right yeah. exactly you, you only see you only really see him against the Nationals you're like guy man this guy kills us and then you just look at his stats and he's like yeah he's, oh, he's just he's just really good kind of kills everyone (laughs) yeah Yeah. but there are those ones like you're just man this guy is just he has our number so i love that series you're doing i'm definitely gonna yeah and it's like yeah very creative way to have something to write about during the lockout yeah for sure (laughs) yeah yeah hopefully get that up in like the next few weeks and uh this was actually inspired by a certain player who did something against the nationals in 2021 who's gonna end up coming up later in this list so oh uh, there you go it's been something been something i've kind of holding on to uh for a a while waiting for a content dry spell like we've got now with the lockout so it's been good to write about it bold prediction obviously you don't you don't have to give away the top three of your list but bold prediction is miguel rojas makes an appearance because that dude a solid player but he destroys i think i think he bats like 500 with a like 1400 OPS. I have to look up us. the I have to look up the stats, but yeah, the eyeball test definitely. Yeah. <laughs> no, so f- funnily enough, no. I think he's someone that was kind of on my radar. So like in my head before I even looked it up, there were kind of guys on my radar. He was one of them mm-hmm. and he he bats well, so he bats like 300, but 
there's just not the on base and the slugging light. Gotcha. I guess I guess it's just the hits that kind of pile up rather than yeah, like, it feels like a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but that's yeah, and sure. with our pitching last year, there were a lot of guys that felt like <laughs> yeah, everyone killed us. I mean, yeah. just exactly. throw the whole league against on that that's list. Where, <laughs> we were where people went to get right. We were the get right series. So we're gonna exactly. play the Nats. We get some pile up some hits. That was the funniest thing. It's like if you can't find that get right series on your schedule, chances are you are the get right team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, fun stuff. I love this new era of Nats. Yeah, it, <laughs> you have to laugh because it hurts. That's yep. It. <laughs> exactly. Blake, thank you again. We appreciate you listening and I are you, you coming on and listening, but uh, I promise it won't be, you know, eight months until we have you on again. Sounds good. Yeah. Thanks for having <laughs> me on again, guys. Right. Thanks, Blake. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks, Blake. There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac. A new team's mowing down the ranks of their opponents. The Nationals are smashing balls so that the commentator who has the cause has passed the wall to see you later. the early light of dawn well you can see they're running scared cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are and bursting in the air tell the library of congress that they might not want to look cause we're putting curly w's in every book let's go know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com podcast. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. 
Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.